Greece to go back there for just a few minutes and talk to you about what we lost and what we should recapture. Can I do that? I, my watch quit working, so it don't really matter anyway. Just, just grab a seat real quick. Grab me a... Grab me that real quick. Let me I, I, Grab your Bibles and go to the book of Genesis. I know this is unique. We'll take up the tithe and the offering in just a moment. Just give me just a couple seconds or so. Hallelujah. Will you receive this? I got a yes, and I'm not sure about the rest here. Take your Bibles and turn with me to Genesis chapter 3. I do believe there's a day coming where God's going to shine His light on us. Turn to Genesis chapter 3. I want to go back there for just a moment. I, I just kind of feel like we need to go there right here on the, on the heels of where we're at. Genesis chapter 3, I want to read at great length about that fateful moment when Adam and Eve lost the exchange between them and God. Do you realize up until Genesis chapter 3 there had been a powerful exchange between God and Adam? That they walked in the cool of the day, they fellowshiped together, they had intimacy together, the glory, the shabak of God, the presence of God, the weight of God was there. In Genesis chapter 3, are you there? Genesis chapter 3, let me, let me read these scriptures in your hearing. And, and let's look at this for just a moment because I want to recapture something before we leave. I really wasn't sure if this is where we needed to go, but in light of where we're at at the moment, I think it's fitting. Verse number 1 of the third chapter of Genesis, the Bible says, Now the serpent was more cunning than the beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said you shall not eat? of every tree in the garden. And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. God established a beautiful garden, but in the garden He established a tree of knowledge and wisdom and insight. And He gave the mandate to Adam and Eve, Don't touch it, don't eat it, because it will cause you to die. Verse number 4, the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that in the day that you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God and you will know good from evil. So the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and the tree desired, uh, the tree was desirable to make one wise, and she took the fruit and ate. And she gave it to her husband, and he ate, and both their eyes were opened. And they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, which was normal for God at that time. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Verse 11, and he said, who told you that you were naked? Who told you you were naked? It's interesting to me how Adam and Eve exchanged truth for a lie. It's interesting to me that Satan plays on our weaknesses. 
Each and every one of us in this room have dominant strengths and we have dominant weaknesses. Most of us understand our strengths and we continue to polish them and refine them. It's our weaknesses that we don't spend much time on. Because weaknesses remind us of things in our life that we can't manage and have consumed us and controlled us. And I want you to understand something this morning in this place. Satan is not targeting your strengths. He's targeting your weaknesses. When you look at Adam and Eve, they were tempted with their deepest desire. What was it? To be like their daddy. To be like God. When Satan tempted Adam and Eve, he tempted them to what? Be like what they already were. You didn't hear me. Satan comes and he said, you shall be like God. But we've read the book and we understand they were already created in the likeness and the image of God. But Satan lies to them and he plays on their weakness because deep down inside of all of us, we want to be more like our Heavenly Father. We may not be able to verbalize it. We may not be able to articulate it. But deep down in our spirits, we were created to be in His presence. We were created to be in His presence regardless of your title, regardless of your position, regardless of the the career you have. Deep down and inside you were created to be in the presence of God and that was to be the fulfillment of your life. And anything else you put in your life will dim in comparison to what He created in Genesis 3 for you to have. We've read the Word and we've looked at Scriptures and we all understand weaknesses and how the enemy targets them. Samson was not destroyed because he uh, uh, wasn't militarily strong. In fact, there wasn't a military army out there that could take Samson down. That wasn't his weakness. His weakness was foreign women. His weakness was women. Wasn't military powers. None of the military forces of the day could touch him because of the anointing. But Delilah had a way to his heart who played on his weaknesses and she capitalized on weakness. Jesus told Simon, Simon Peter, he said, Look, Satan desires to sift you as wheat. What Satan play on with Simon Peter? His weaknesses. Not his strengths, his weaknesses. David become vulnerable. Even though he was a great and anointed king, he became vulnerable not because the enemy targeted his strength, because the enemy targeted his weakness. Satan's always targeted our weaknesses, and the fact is we're living in a culture. The enemy is utilizing our weaknesses for a shortcut. If you look at these scriptures and you look at the the work of Satan, what he's saying to Adam and what he's saying to Eve is, look, I'm going to accelerate your destiny. If you eat of this tree and you partake of this fruit, you'll know good and evil. You'll be like God. What's he saying? I'm going to give you a shortcut to destiny. Oh, I'm going to preach right here because you need to hear me. What Satan is offering to us is an accelerated path to destruction, but we don't see it because what we're looking for is a shortcut to destiny, something to speed up my process, something where I don't have to go through submission and become required of anything. I want a quick trip to greatness. The illusion is that we can bypass the process. Most of us become vulnerable because the enemy uses things in our life, our weaknesses, and gives us that illusion we can get to where we want to be without the due process of God. 
See, we don't talk much about getting to where God wants us to be without looking for shortcuts, and we all know what our shortcuts are. When I read these scriptures a few days ago, in fact, I planned to preach this months ago, if you'll recall, maybe weeks ago, seven, eight weeks ago, and I never got there, and I, I don't know why I'm quite here today other than the fact I believe God wants to say something, but when I read over these scriptures some, some time ago, I realized the enemy wants to sow seeds into my life to distrust the process of God. What did Adam and Eve struggle with? The fact that the satanic force came and said you can have a shortcut. You can get to greatness without the due process. Take of this fruit. It's a shortcut. How many shortcuts have you had in your life? How many opportunities have you had where the enemy offers you an illusion of a quick trip to destiny without the process of servanthood? So I'm going to preach right here because, see, we don't understand servanthood in the body of Christ anymore. We don't want to be servants. We all want to be masters. But ladies and gentlemen, the reason God aligns us to be a servant is not so that he can make sure the master feels good about his identity, but it's in order for me to have the characteristics necessary to be qualified to be promoted. See, servanthood is difficult in our culture because none of us want to be a servant to anything. We have individuals that, that want to be the chief and not the Indian. We want shortcuts to greatness. We want shortcuts for the promotion. We don't want to work diligently in the warehouse. We want to instantly go up to the, to the top floor and be the leader of something. So we'll lie and steal and cheat and manipulate. All the while we lift our hands on Sunday morning and declare glory art the Lord. But yet deep down in our heart there's a path of a shortcut to get where we want to be because we long to get there and the enemy said you can take that path. See, sometimes you've got to be a servant to the things of God before you can be a leader to the things of God. All God asked Adam and Eve to be was servants to the garden, to his plan of the garden, to the dominion he gave them over the garden. He said, I want you to be a steward of it, a servant of it, and I will promote you and I'll take care of you. But the enemy said, here's a shortcut. Here's a shortcut to be like God. Here you'll know good and evil. Here you'll be able to have that grand illusion that I'm going to get somewhere that, that I plan to go and I'll get there without much effort. Let me read these to you and I won't hold you but a moment. But the Bible said that, that Adam and Eve received of that fruit. Isn't it interesting? And immediately after they received from that, they distrusted God. Because they went from greatness to shame. How do they go from greatness to shame? Their perspective of life shifted. Because now the Bible said that both of their eyes were opened and they knew they were naked. And they immediately ran from the presence of God. You see that? When you take shortcuts in life and the enemy plays on your weaknesses, what happens is shame takes residence in your heart. And when shame and, and guilt and condemnation takes residence in your heart, instead of running to his presence, you run from his presence. 
When you look at Adam and Eve, did they have gifts? Yes. Did they have talents? Yes. Did they have blessing? Yes. But because they chose to listen to the lie of an enemy, they took a shortcut. And the shortcut caused them to run from God instead of to God. And God says, where are you at? Now it wasn't about location because we know God knew where they were. Huh? It wasn't about location. It was about relation. I wonder if God's asking, where are you at? Not did you go to church this morning. Not did you go to a ministry center this morning. Not did you sleep in. Where are you at? Not location. Not geographical. Where are you at relationally with God? Because see, what happens is, is if you take a shortcut with God and you run from God, it's easy to blame others for your location. Because when God said, where are you? Adam said, we're hiding from you, God. And that was foreign because up until that moment, God and Adam and Eve walked together. It wasn't until they took the shortcut based on their weaknesses that they become alienated from God. And God said, where are you? And they're hiding from God. They begin to blame each other. God says, and it's interesting, you say God don't ask direct questions. Apparently he does. Work with me for just a moment. He not only asks where you're at, he wants to know who told you. Who told you you were in shame? Who told you you weren't worthy? Who told you this thing? Now we know God knew who did it. Why is God asking that probing question? Because He wants you and I to take ownership of us. Take ownership of our life. Some of us have been mistreated, abused, kicked to the curb, disenfranchised. Take ownership for where you are. You can't always blame someone else for your decision. Because here's what happens. Adam says, it's the woman you gave me. Adam says, the woman you thought God was a good idea. I liked her up until we got in trouble. She was fine up until you got upset at us. She was, whoa, man, up until. Adam plays the blame game and said it's the woman. The woman, in return, doesn't take ownership either. She says it's the serpent that caused the problem. The reason I am where I am and Adam is where he is is because you created a serpent in the garden. Somebody asked me one time ago, they said, listen, explain to us why God would create an a, a alternative to him. You ever wondered that? If you're going to create a garden, you're going to create man and woman in your likeness and image, why would you want to create an alternative life? Because God doesn't demand your loyalty. You have a will and a choice to serve, to honor, to labor for God or not. 
And so when you look at these scriptures and you begin to process through them and you understand that God said you can have everything, you can live infinitely in blessing and provision and favor and we'll hang out together except this one thing. Isn't it interesting? He gives them everything in the garden except one tree. And it's not like it was a secret. God said don't touch it. Come on, do I have any parents in the room? You ever had a little child and you tell them, don't touch it? How'd that work out for you? How'd that work out? What do they do? And then they come running to you with tears streaming down their cheeks. And you look at them and you go, what? You touched it, didn't you? So it was just curiosity. Maybe it's Satan trying to speed up the process by deceiving us to take shortcuts with God. And we're living in a culture right now, ladies and gentlemen, and you know this and I don't need to tell you this, we're living in a culture that is accustomed to the shortcut. We're accustomed to the illusion of getting somewhere without sacrifice, without servanthood, without a heart involved. You can go to church and be promised of heaven and never come to an altar and repent. You, may, you don't even have to go through water baptism anymore. You can just go through the process and, and everybody will tell you it's okay with your soul. Because we have no absolutes anymore because the church has taken a shortcut. And I hear God going, where are you at? Where are you at positionally? Just like he asked them and see Satan already had a hook in the jaw. Am I right? Satan already had a hook in their jaw. I'm going to tell you something that you know. He's still playing the same game. Just because this is Genesis 3 and it's a little far removed from 2012, I'm telling you, Satan's still playing the same game. He's still creating alternatives, shortcuts for your life. He's still offering you opportunities to trade the greatness of being in the glory of God for the temporal, for the fleeting, for the passing, for the moment, for the joy, for the high, for the intoxication. And he's offering it to you and we're soaking it up. America is running to a slaughter as we reject the God of sovereignty and love. And the church has no credibility. Because we're just as naked. We're just as naked as those we're trying to help. Because, see, we've been taught by Christian ministries to sew together a fig leaf to cover our nakedness. Happened in Genesis 3, Adam and Eve because they realized their nakedness and their shame. They instantly grabbed fig leaves and sewed them a, a covering for their nakedness. And that's why God said, who told you you were naked? God says, who told you? We covered ourselves. Why? Because we had become open to deception. What they didn't realize as soon as they picked a leaf. See, a tree was created for glory. The expression of the glory was the leaf. 
Everything in the garden was created for the glory of God. So when they selected a leaf off of the tree to create a covering, the glory began to die. Now their transgression was beginning to affect other things. You're not hearing me. Because there are people in this room and you say, well, listen, my life is my life. And what I do doesn't affect anybody else. And I can do what I want to do. I've been created with independence. I'll go where I want to go. I'll do what I want to do. I'll drink what I want to drink. I'll have what I want to have. And I'll live the way I want to live. And there's not a person on this earth that's going to legislate that for me. Mighty quiet on a Sunday morning. It's that same independence that came into the garden that has been covered up with a temporal covering. See, now we don't have fig leaves that we cover up our, our shame with, but yet we have good works. We won't call it a fig leaf, but we'll go to church and call it a fig leaf. We'll even throw some money in the offering bucket. We'll even try to teach a class and we'll try to minister in the nurseries and the nursing homes and we'll do a lot of good service and we'll go to a lot of places and we'll do a lot of things. But if it's a fig leaf, then that glory is dying. The reason there's not a revival and the reason there's not an awakening is not because God has lost the power. Not because the force of God's still not working and some of you don't get it. It's because of us. It's not because heaven went defunct or went AWOL or went bankrupt. It's because humanity stays away from the glory. We allow the shortcut and the shame to keep us away from the glory. And we can go to church and not have a sense of glory. We can sing songs and not have a sense of the glory. I can preach and you'll still have no sense of the glory because we become so comfortable in the shadows of the garden. And we become comfortable with a lifestyle that preachers condone. I know it's foreign to preach righteousness. I understand that I can be ridiculed. And guess what? It doesn't matter. We've got to come out of the shadows of the garden. We've got to come past the fig leaves. And we need to come under the covering of the glory and let Him let us shine. We've got to, listen, we've got to stop seeking substitutes. I know I'm not going to win any awards for this morning, but I'm going to go to heaven one day, and hopefully he'll go. That was a good one that day, boy. And I'm not preaching for your applause or necessarily for your approval. I'm trying to get you to the place where you understand that you have choices, decisions. And you say, well, I'm making them for me. They're not affecting anybody else. Yeah, but your son's going to do what you do, sir. Your daughter's going to do what you do, ma'am. So your level of spirituality is going to be handed to them. So your lukewarmness becomes their lukewarmness. And there's going to be a generation that comes up that does not know the glory or the power of God. Because we're accepting of substitutes. Because we don't want anybody to know the real us. drunk husband came home from a night at the bar it was a violent night at the bar he was so massively intoxicated that his mouth outweighed his ability to fight y'all don't know what I'm talking about but some of you do 
his intoxication made him Superman, except he didn't have the ability to defend himself adequately, and he took a beating like nobody's business. Now, his wife had been lecturing him. She was a good church-going woman, and she'd been lecturing him about his, you know, destructive behavior. He got home late in the morning. She was in the bed. He really didn't want her to know that he had been intoxicated. But when he looked in the mirror, he had cuts all over his face. He looks into the mirror, and he's thinking, okay, I'm going to have to get this fixed up because she's going to know that, one, I was drunk, and two, I got in a fight, and now I'm going to get another sermon in the morning. So he did his best job of bandaging himself up. He goes to bed. Now he's planning to sleep in, but his wife gets up early. She begins to slam cabinet doors, and she gets all violent and abusive with her noise making and all that. And a few minutes, she storms into the bedroom. She's throwing him out of bed. She says, you've been drunk again. He was rather defensive. said, prove to me I've been drunk. She said, there's Band-Aids on the mirror. <laughs> Some of you will get that on the way home. be tragic if it wasn't so real. Come on, tell somebody so they'll get it before they leave because I can see some of you really troubled. If I have to explain, it'll take way too much time. Isn't that how we live, though? We cover it up and we're not very good at it. Adam and Eve tried to cover up their shame and their sin with a fig leaf, something that was dying as soon as they disconnected it. Right? As soon as they disconnected it, the glory that it was supposed to produce began to die because your sin always affects somebody else. Your lifestyle affects someone else. I know you stand before God and give an account for you, but your behavior, your lifestyle will affect others. You should be the light of the glory of God. You should represent the kingdom and the life of the kingdom everywhere you go. And when you live beneath that and you live in darkness, they don't see the marvelous light. And how will they know unless someone has an experience with God? God says, I don't know what made you think this was going to cover it. But in that 21st verse, God creates a covering that is suitable and durable for their sin. The 21st verse says he takes a tunic or a animal skin and he covers their nakedness. Is that right? Some of you are hunters and understand this. You can't skin an animal without there being some blood. So right here God says, I'm going to have to establish another way to restore Glory. Come on. Because you've got to understand something. The hardship of God is the fact that He has had an invader separating His children from Him. You have to understand God is jealous about you. He wants your attention. He wants your devotion. He wants your life. He wants to be one with you. And the reason you're so empty is because you've not allowed Him to fill the empty places. All of us were created, and I know it's hard for Dr. Phil to figure it out. Give me some more therapy and give me some more generic counseling. Every one of us since Genesis was created to be in the glory of God. 
and the fact that sin has entered the earth separated us from glory. God said, I can't commune with you because we've allowed there to be a separation. And that may not bother you, but it's troubled God from the beginning of time. And the fact that He was willing to kill an animal in Genesis 3 to provide covering, which was blood and durability. He began to establish a plan to do what? Reestablish the separation between man and God. And all through the Old Testament, we see sacrifice after sacrifice, animal sacrifice after sacrifice. For what? For the atonement and the covering of the sin of humanity. And as wonderful as that plan was, God realized it wasn't sufficient. Because the sin outweighed the sacrifice. The shortcuts that we took, the the separations that we had. God said, I love you so much, I've got to close that gap. And he knew we couldn't close the gap with our own works or our own deeds. He knew we weren't good enough, nor could we ever be good enough to be in his presence and in his garden again. So he had to create a substitute, a ramp, a bridge, if you will, for us to be able to come back and have the glory of God in our lives. He established the plan through Jesus Christ. Mary, the borrowed womb, became the surrogate for God's child to be conceived, to be born, to live, to breathe, to represent what? God in His glory. Walk the earth. His son Jesus walked the earth as the expression of the glory that had been lost. And he walked the earth 33 years. We all know the story. He said, no man will take my life. I'll give it. I'll lay it down. And I'll pick it up again. Jesus had to be what that first skin was for Adam and Eve. Jesus had to be that kind of a sacrifice because the sacrifice of animals no longer had the, the, the durability to handle sin. And the Bible says that Jesus hung between heaven and earth, bleeding and dying. And he says from the cross, it is finished. And the Bible records for us that when he spoke those words, it's finished. See, there was a veil in the temple. The temple was where the high priest would go and carry that sacrificial offering for sin. But he could only go there once a year, and it wasn't for everyone. Although the sin was for the, the atonement for sin was for everyone, only one man could go into the glory. <laughs> I'm going somewhere. When Jesus said it's finished. That veil, there was a curtain that separated the courts of the temple. That curtain was four inches thick. Eleven yards wide and twenty-two yards in length. And when Jesus said it was finished, the Bible records these words. That that veil was torn from the top to the bottom. Had it been torn from the bottom, then we could possibly say men had something to do with that tearing. 
But beyond description and beyond logical reasoning, the Bible said when he said it is finished, the veil that separated all of us from the glory was torn from the top to the bottom saying that you and I have access again back to the glory. It will stop taking the shortcuts the enemy offers. You have an opportunity. You and I have an opportunity to be where the glory is, to walk with God, to be where His presence is. I've had a lot of fig leaves in my life. Trying to cover up my rejections and my frustrations and my sin and my faults and my failures. You know what I found out about covering it up? You can't keep it covered. You can come to church and you say, well, I want to go to a church that doesn't bring any revealing truth. Well, they're all around, ladies and gentlemen. You can go to a lot of places in America where you won't be convicted. You won't be challenged to live right. You'll be preached a gospel that makes you feel wonderful about who you are, and yet you'll still plummet into hell. And I don't, I don't, I don't intend to be a, a offensive by nature. I don't. But I, I really believe God wants to show us His glory, but He can't show us His glory if we keep taking shortcuts. If we keep doing the same thing Adam and Eve did, then we get the same result Adam and Eve had. And that's separated from the glory of God. I'm not real sure how this is going to work out for the end of this service. But I'm pretty sure of this. You've been taking shortcuts. There ought to be a prick in your heart right now. If you've been hiding in the shadows of God's presence, maybe today you'll hear His voice go, Where are you at? Why are you hiding? And who told you you were naked? And maybe in the context of this moment, you will hear. Just the simplicity of God going, look, I know you're trying to cover it up so nobody sees what's going on with you. And I know you, you, know, you delete your, your, your history page on your computer every day so nobody sees where you've been. Boy, it's quiet in here, ain't it? I know you change the radio station so when your family gets in they don't hear what you've been listening to. I know you have a separate checking account so that your wife doesn't know what you spend money on. Getting quiet in here. I know teenagers right now in this room have things in their life that they wouldn't dare want mom and dad to know. Whether it's hidden or not, it may not be material, but the fact is there's things in their life they wouldn't dare want mom and dad to know they did or do. It's quiet in here. It's difficult to be vulnerable. It's difficult for God to come find us where we are. And we want an American church that doesn't become quite that revealing. We want an American church that's a little more, you know, sympathetic. Talk to me, please. You're making me uncomfortable. Yeah, right. You understand where I'm at? 
We want, a, we want a church that's a little more sympathetic with our, our socioeconomical situation. We want a church that's a little more sympathetic of how our mom and daddy treated us and how we were raised and what shortcoming. We want a sympathetic church. But a sympathetic church doesn't do anything other than offer you more fig covering. Help you therapeutically get through your depression. I don't work that way. I don't hand fig leaves off for your massive depressed lifestyle. Be delivered and set free. First time I came to Christ and gave my life to Christ, I didn't understand how messed up I was until I saw his glory again. Isn't it interesting you don't realize what you're missing until he shows you what life really can be like? Because, see, when I was addicted to drugs and, and, and consuming alcohol on a daily basis and living a life of that kind of, of nature, I didn't really know what it was like to be sober. The sun became a little brighter when I became sober, and the blue skies was a little bluer when I began to realize I wasn't looking through it through clouded eyes. And then when I began to get into his presence, I began to realize how short and how, how many shortcuts I was taking. And then I began to realize, oh, how wretched I was, how miserable I was, and how defeated I was. And, and then I was trying to figure out how to live this new life. And I'm going to be honest with you. It's been a struggle at times. You know why it's a struggle? Because there's still weaknesses in me. There's still weaknesses, and the enemy still used them. And I promise you, there's weaknesses in your life the enemy will use. And he'll use them in a way that you won't even realize that you're falling farther away from his glory. And deception becomes so subtle, and thought patterns and mentalities of this world versus the kingdom of God become so, so far apart. After a while, you can't even relate to the kingdom of God. You can go to church, and it makes no sense. You can have a man preach for 45 minutes and you walk away going, I don't even know what he said. Maybe that's because we've been so accustomed to the shadows of Eden. We don't know what it's like to be in the presence of God. Because the truth is God wants me to be with him. He wants to walk with me. He wants to walk with you. He wants to have relationship with you. I really believe when that veil tear or tore, and it opened up access, I believe God goes, good, now I can get back to my people. There's been an open door, now I can get back to my people. I can get back like I intended it to be in Genesis 3, where we can walk together. Stand with me in this room, if you don't mind. I know we haven't taken an offering